0: Our first reading is from Isaiah 51, which is on page 740, or 741 even. So it's Isaiah 53, starting at verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender sheet, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he had suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. The second reading is from the New Testament, John chapter 19, which is on page 1088, starting at verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear in a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced.
1: And as we have uh, sung, Oh, What a Mystery, I think it's right that we start, as we think about this mystery together and what the Bible says, that we start with prayer. So let's bow our heads as we pray together. Father, as we think about the mystery that you sent your Son to die on a cross, Lord, please open our ears and open our hearts to what you want to tell us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if, uh, if many of you remember the old TV program, there's been film versions of it recently, but the old TV program, Mission Impossible, with the, the sort of the iconic soundtrack and that opening trailer of the, of the kind of the, the light moving across the screen. And in every episode, you would have that that famous phrase, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to... And then whatever the mission is. And then the famous, this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck. Well, when we read through the accounts of Jesus' life, we see, too, that he was on a mission. He was on a mission. Right at the beginning of John's Gospel, we get told about this. That John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is Jesus' mission. What we then see as we carry on reading through, is whether Jesus is going to accept this mission to be the Lamb of God. This, this sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. What we see in the passage from John's Gospel that was just read to us by Ruth, where it's these final moments of Jesus' mission. This is what it has all been building up to. But what is he prepared to go through to fulfill this mission? This mission to save us from our sin. And why is it so important that we meet on Good Friday and remember this and that we believe it? Well, the first thing this passage tells us this morning is that he thirsted. He thirsted. Look down in your Bibles at, uh, if you close them, open them back up to, to John 19 and look down at that first verse in that passage, verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Now, we're not just talking about thirst for for actual water here. It's not hard to imagine that that dying on a cross in the Middle East as you're you're hanging there on that cross, that that's thirsty work. You would get thirsty, but that's not just what's going on here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be told about it. This is telling us something far more shocking and far more important (coughs) Let me tell you why. It's because Jesus is the one who quenches thirst. Jesus is the one who quenches thirst. All the way back in, in chapter 4, Jesus is, is sat by a well in, in the midday sun, and a woman comes to collect water from the well. And he says some pretty amazing stuff to her. He says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And then later on in in John's Gospel, in chapter 7, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Jesus is the one that can quench the thirst that we all have. Each and every one of us here this morning and in the world Jesus can quench the thirst. But what does Jesus mean when he's talking about water? Is he just talking about actual thirst? Actual thirst for water? Well, when Jesus is talking about this kind of thirst, he is talking about the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit of God who comes to live inside all believers. Last week, perhaps you saw it, or perhaps you were even in it, we had the the Brighton Marathon here in the city. And there were water stations everywhere. You can pick up your, your cup of water and get a quick drink as you continue on along the marathon. You see, if you run a marathon, you need to drink water. Without it, you will find it harder and harder until eventually you have to stop or worse. And this is what Jesus is telling us about the Holy Spirit. You see, just as a a marathon runner requires water to keep on going, so Christians require the Holy Spirit to live inside them. The Bible says that God gives his Spirit to, to all believers so that they can follow him. So I want us to bear all of this in mind, what Jesus says about quenching people's thirst when he says, I am thirsty, I am thirsty. The very person who is, who is able to quench our thirst in the first place is saying, I am thirsty. For the first time in his life, Jesus is thirsting For the Holy Spirit, like the marathon runner without the water, he's missing something, he's missing someone. He doesn't know the Spirit's presence when he is there on the cross. Imagine last week a, a marathon runner going along and he's got his, his bottle of water, he's prepared. But he sees someone running along next to him who doesn't and they're flagging and they're, they're, they're absolutely exhausted. So he gives his bottle of water, his life-giving bottle of water to this other person. He goes without so that the other person can be refreshed and can continue and finish the marathon. When we read this chapter, we're meant to connect the dots. We're meant to see that the one who can quench thirst is thirsty. Look down at the end of verse 30. It says that Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The word that we have there, uh, gave up, in the original language, means literally to deliver, to, to hand something over. He delivered his Spirit. You see, it's the only reason why Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside them is because Jesus was willing and he did deliver the Holy Spirit to us. This is why it's so amazing in in Jesus' mission that he was willing to thirst. He thirsted for us. Not just thirsting from water, but he thirsted from the Holy Spirit so that each one of us may have God's Holy Spirit live inside us. And only is it after then that the mission that he accepted Well, that mission, he finished. Have a look down, back at verse 30, at the first bit. It says, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. Just before Jesus dies, his very last words, he shouts out, It is finished. And this mission, and, and John's gospel is building up to this one moment. Is Jesus going to finish the mission that the Father sent him to save us from our sins? Well, it says here that it is finished. It is finished. But what exactly does does Jesus mean? Does he just mean that it's finished, the fact that that he's died, that uh, that his life's at an end? What does Jesus mean here? Well, firstly... It means that the work that he, now, that he has been doing is now completed. It's completed. The word in the original language is the same as one you would use in a professional setting. Like when you finish an order for a client and then you phone up to say, it's completed. The work is completed. But what is this work? Well, it's the work of Jesus offering himself as a sacrifice for us. That is the work that is now completed, that is finished. Jesus prays to his father earlier on in John's Gospel. He prays, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. This work, as Jesus shouts this out and dies, this work is now completed. It's finished. But not only are we meant to understand that his work is completed, but we're also meant to understand that it is paid. It is paid. It is paid in full, like a transaction. Jesus' suffering and death as a payment. And the Bible says that the payment is for our sin, the price that each one of us owes to God. Because of our sin, it's paid by Jesus on the cross. In Luke 7, Jesus tells a story to to help us to understand this. He says two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is Roman money, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. When the Bible talks about sin... It's saying that the payment for that sin is actually death. It's not money, it's not 500 denarii, it's not 5,000 pounds, it's not uh, a perfect life of attending church and prayer and reading your Bible. It says the penalty is death. That's the cost that God demands from us for our sin. But Jesus, in this, in this story that he told... He's been speaking about a moneylender who forgave the debt, who forgave it. He's flat out forgiven these, these two debts that were owed to him. And that is a picture of God's forgiveness to each one of us. But how is he going to do it? Who's going to pay this insurmountable debt to God or to find out you have to look at the cross you have to look at the cross to see how the debt is going to be paid and when Jesus shouts it is finished we know that that payment that each one of us couldn't pay is paid by Jesus on our behalf it is paid for you It is paid for me. It is paid for all those who put their trust in him. I wonder, this this Good Friday, do you realise that Jesus, when he died on the cross for you, he paid the price for your sin? That's why we call it Good Friday. There's one writer called Max Lucado, I think sums this up, really well he says every other religion says pay up pay up only Jesus says it is paid every other religion demands more and more from you you've got to give more you've got to pray more you've got to earn your way back to God in some way to make him love you Jesus says no It is paid. It is finished. To complete his mission to save us, Jesus thirsted, Jesus finished, but he did that because of who he is. We had a clue earlier. It's because he is the lamb. He is the lamb. Jesus did all of this because he is the lamb. If you were to turn back to our first reading in the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, you would see that there's a lot of sheep language. There's a lot of sheep language in there which I think is actually quite good for this time of year. There's, there's lots of lambs out in the fields, and I know farms are, are opening up and you can go see lambing days and, and all sorts of things like that. It, it feels quite, quite current to us. But Isaiah says something important about sheep. He says, actually, we are all like sheep. I wonder if you'd consider yourself a sheep this morning. Well, that's what Isaiah says that we are all like. He says this in Isaiah 53, verse 6. He says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. This is the true spiritual state that all of us are in. Isaiah puts his finger right on the button. It's the state that all of us are in. We've all wandered off from God. Like sheep in an open field, we just wander off. But how do you rescue wandering sheep? Well, you do it in this case by sacrificing a lamb. By sacrificing a lamb. Isaiah was writing hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. But he says this, in verse 7, about Jesus. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You see, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be the one who would take the punishment that the sheep, that all of us, the sheep, deserved. So now if we go back to John and to chapter 19, we see the significance of what is going on here. We've seen the the sheep that have gone astray, the promise of a lamb who will be sacrificed for them. So when we see this in John 19, we understand the significance of what is going on here. You see, the week leading up to Jesus' death was the festival for the Jews called Passover. Passover was a time of the year that the Jews remembered an event back in their past where they were rescued. And they remembered that God in the first Passover required a lamb to be slaughtered. Now this lamb had to be slaughtered so that the blood from it could be dobbed over the door frames of the houses so that the eldest sons in each house wouldn't die. This was the the last and the worst plague on Egypt. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. This was the last plague on Egypt after Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. They slaughtered the lamb, they covered the doorposts of their houses with blood. So on that occasion, God required a lamb that had to be slaughtered for each house and then the angel of death who passed over would see the blood of the lamb and would not touch that house. But for each other house that didn't have that blood, they were not protected. The oldest son in each other house whether rich or poor, would die. But the houses that had the blood of the Lamb would be safe. So when we see in our passage how Jesus, the Lamb, how he died, we are meant to see that and say, that's the Passover Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the Passover Lamb. That Passover, all those years, all those hundreds of years before in Egypt was pointing to a bigger Passover and was pointing to a greater lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God. God wants us to see this and he wants us to believe it, not just keep it tucked away in our heads knowing it, but having it in our, our hearts and believing it. It's vital that we do so that we get what Good Friday is about. We get what faith and life and the universe is about if we understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who has taken our sins away. Look down back in John chapter 19 at verse 35. It says, the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. The whole purpose that that we have this here in our Bibles, why 2,000 years later we are still teaching on this, is the way that you receive what the Lamb has done for you. The way you receive it is by believing. You see, the Lamb has thirsted for you. The Lamb has finished it for you. But what are you going to do in return? John says he tells you the truth so that you may believe, believe and trust in the Lamb of God who has shed his blood for you. And you know what? God isn't looking for amazing belief, amazing take on the world belief. Jesus says that even belief, even faith, as small as a mustard seed, is enough. Let me tell you a story that helps us to think why. There's a writer called Don Carson who tells this story. It's about the Passover. He says, picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown, remarkably Jewish names. The day before the first Passover, they're having a little discussion in the land of Egypt. And Smith says to Brown, are you a little bit nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. Haven't you slaughtered the lamb and and daub the doorpost with blood? Haven't you done that? Well, of course I've done that. I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary when you think of all the things that have happened around here. You know, flies and river turning into blood. It's pretty awful. And now there's the threat of the firstborn being killed You know it's all right it's all right for you you've got three sons I've only got one and I love my Charlie And the angel of death is is passing through tonight I know what God says I put the blood there but it's pretty scary I'll be glad when this night's over And the other one says Bring it on I trust the promises of God. That night, the angel of death swept through the land. And which one lost his son? And of course, the answer is neither. You see, it's not how big or how confident someone's faith is the deciding thing is whether they are resting under the blood of the Lamb or not. And that's true for us too. It's not the size of our faith, it's who we have faith in. Is your faith in Jesus the Lamb this Good Friday? If it's not, Why not find out some more? Come back along on Easter Sunday to one of our services or come along to one of our Life Explored courses or or ask someone here this morning to find out a bit more about what it means to put your faith in the blood of the Lamb. Is your faith in Jesus, the Lamb who thirsted and finished for you? Let's pray. David, can we have that last slide back up, please? It's a famous hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Father, we thank you on this Good Friday for sending your Son to die on a cross. He thirsted for us so that we may have your Holy Spirit. He finished the work for us so that the price for our sin would be paid in full. And he did this because he is the perfect Lamb of God. We pray that this Easter you would help us to rest and to have faith in the blood of the Lamb. Whether our faith is as big as a mountain or as small as a mustard seed, it's who we have faith in that matters. Lord, please be with us and guide us. Amen.